Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. I'm Jeremy. All right, and we are going to have a fun time today talking about Rhoda. Um, Rhoda is not something I was terribly familiar with before a few months ago. Um, I started hearing a lot about it, uh, so I reached out to Jeremy because I've had some some listeners um, ask me about this, and so we thought we'd bring you on and talk about Rhoda because we know it's your baby, and um, you know I'm I'm excited to learn more about that because it's got some interesting things that I don't know about yet. Uh, but before we get into the meat of the show, we can review. Creston, how was your week? A blur. I can't even fathom <laughs> what I've been doing. Yeah. I know I've been working a lot, but I was struggling before we went live. It's like, is there any significance? <laughs> and I'm blank. I'm empty. Oh, oh, boy. It's just one of those weeks, huh? Yeah. I mean, I may think of something, but where you wake up Monday morning and say, "Whoa, it's Thursday." Yeah, I literally, I was walking the dog this morning, and I was like, "What day? Is it? It's Thursday. How could it be Thursday? <laughs> it was just Monday, right?" Oh well, oh, I, I sorry, mean, I, I got another. How about you? I got. Um, I've been I've been getting a lot into the R swag stuff and spending a lot of time in there and learning the the Open API Swagger thing and how to automate all that and it's um it's complex but it's once it's done it's going to be really nice to have all our api document documentation automated and and not have to have customers calling saying hey this documentation doesn't have this field in it oh crap we forgot to update the documentation i'm you know i'm tired of that story so we're finally doing something about that which is nice and our swag is turning out to be a really really nice gem to help with that so um yeah if you're stuck in the doldrums of api documentation check that gem out it's it's helpful uh jeremy how about you how was your week um my week uh it's been pretty interesting um big big news yesterday as so i work for the government i'm actually an it manager and our big thing yesterday was an upgrade for what's called primavera which is a timekeeping system that's currently owned by oracle and it's a nightmare to to deal with. And we had a big upgrade from like a six or seven year old version to the current version. And oh wow! Uh, th thankfully, that finished successfully with no problems. Um, and the other big news I had was the day before that I merged a fairly large patch into Ruby itself to handle um, to make it so you can call methods with very large argument splats. So oh. this fixes a bug in. Ruby that was reported. Uh, it's the second oldest bug actually in Ruby, um, really? the second oldest open one. Uh, and I fixed that um, on Tuesday is when I pushed the commit for that. So I'll be actually be talking about that change uh, a couple weeks at Ruby Kagi, which is the big Japanese Ruby conference. Yeah, nice. Well, thank you for that because um, I've got a lot of methods that have big splats. In it. <laughs> We're getting ready to have to do some work on some of those areas so good um well, there's one thing i can i can chime in about is that right. polling will take you far like with all the web sockets oh. and server sent events and different technologies i was evaluating something and i evaluated all of them and i was like you know at the end of the day as long as the server responds very quickly like it's a very short response 
polling can take you far. And it looks like what a design just using polling, even though they kind of want something semi real time, I think the polling would be is sufficient. So that's definitely something I was working a lot on today. Well, not today, but this week. Yeah, the, the WebSocket stuff can get really, it can get complicated. Um, and it's, I mean, it's nice, but it can get complicated. So if you can get away with just a simple little polling routine, do that. Yeah, and, and scaling is so much easier as well. Yeah. If, if you stick with, you know, the polling stuff. Because, like, I've had experience where Rails's um, action cable insufficient performance wise and we move to any cable which basically uses go to handle the websocket connections um but still there's then you have to if you want to ultimately scale out you have to have now multiple servers to coordinate the websocket connections yeah. that are separate from your well the servers don't have to be different but the different services so it's yeah right. like you're saying it gets complicated it gets messy anyway or you just end up paying for a WebSocket service to handle all that crap for you and there <laughs> don't you worry go. about it anymore. You you pay up the dollars. Right. As we talked about last time. So, yeah. um, all right. So let's get into the fun that is Rhoda. Jeremy, I'm, I'm excited. Thank you for being here um, to talk to us about this. Um, I'm kind of excited to learn about this because there's some, some terminology in here that I'm not familiar with and I've been deving for a long time, but um, this is some, some new stuff I get to learn. So my first question is going to be, why does Rhoda exist? Okay, so Rhoda was um, actually a fork of another library named Cuba, which still exists. It's another web framework for Ruby. Um, the general idea of Rhoda, what Rhoda calls a routing tree, was originally developed actually by the original creator of Rack. Um, he created a library named RUM. Back in 2009, uh, which lays out the general idea of basically routing a request based on the structure of the URL or the structure of the of the path, um, and, use, and sort of breaking it down into separate steps. Routing first part, you know, usually routing by segments. So if your you know if your path starts with you know slash album slash one slash whatever it is, you route the albums part first before you route the rest of it. So you have sort of incremental routing as you go along. That was the general idea. Um, Cuba took this idea and sort of made it into a, a framework so that you could use. I fixed some of the bugs that was, were in the initial implementation. Um, and uh, I really like that. I I'd previously been a Rails developer for quite a few years. Uh, and then when I discovered Sinatra, I really liked Sinatra. It made things so much more simple than Rails did. So for many years, uh, I would say since 2008 or nine until 2014, I was mostly focusing on Sinatra for any new development while still maintaining some older stuff I had in Rails. So when I discovered Cuba, I really liked Cuba's way it broke down the routing and sort of incrementally. Well, um, this is what Rhoda calls the routing tree is because it becomes sort of tree-like. You route the first part and then the next part of the segment can have a whole bunch of things. It ends up being very much like a tree. So that's why I call it a routing tree. If you're not familiar with the term, it's because I created it. So it's not <laughs> like it's this, it's not like I took this from something else. I actually named it a routing tree because that's how routing is done. It sort of breaks it down into a tree structure. Uh -huh. 
anyways, um, I like Cuba, but uh, I like that that part of Cuba. The other parts of Cuba I didn't like as much. It's not as friendly to use as Sinatra. So one of the Sinatra's key points is that all of Sinatra's routing blocks return the body of the response, which makes it very easy to use. Cuba didn't have that. Cuba is very, um, I would say, explicit. You have to specifically say, okay, response dot write whatever the body is. And if you don't do that, uh, it doesn't work. And I was trying to deal with the Cuba developers and say, hey, do you want to move in this direction or support a way to easily move in this direction? And they weren't really, they didn't really want to do that, which is fine. They, they had their own idea of how Cuba should work. And Cuba basically now is very similar to what was, you know, eight or nine years ago. So that, that part hasn't changed. They're very consistent. Cuba doesn't change very often. Yeah. Anyways, I wanted it to be more Sinatra-like. So I basically took Cuba, forked it, and made it more Sinatra-like. Um, in terms of how it works. And then I added a plugin system to it. Because one of the big problems with Sinatra is it doesn't support very much by default. And uh, with Rhoda, I wanted it to support like pretty much, you know, most of the things you can do in Rails. Um, I had a need to do that. So instead of having like Sinatra extensions and plugins that were external, with Rhoda, everything is shipped with Rhoda. Um, the Rhoda supports, Rhoda is designed around a very small core. And then it ships with like over a hundred plugins and you pick what you want to use. And all the plugins are tested at the same time of Rota. So when Rota is updated, you don't have to worry about any of the plugins that it ships with breaking. It's everything's tested at the same time, which is one of the issues when you're using Sinatra or Rails with external extensions is that, you know, Sinatra updates, Rails updates, and then your external extensions aren't ready yet and they break and you got to wait for them to be supported before you can update. So I wanted as much as possible um, for least very common things to ship with Rota so that you didn't need to worry about so much external stuff breaking. Most of it ships with Rota itself. Mm. Anyway, that's that's the main reason um, I created Rota. Um, in my Sinatra applications and in my Rails applications, um, the reason that, that you want to use a routing tree just in general, the benefits of, of a routing tree, is when you're using Rails or Sinatra, you often have many routes that do the same type of thing. So I mean, in terms of setup. So like, for example, if you were in Rails, uh, you'll have a controller and then pretty much all the actions um, in the controller need the same type of setup. Like if you have a, um, if you're dealing with artists, one of the things is to, you know, all the routes are gonna need to retrieve the artist first. And in Rails, you commonly would use a before filter for this. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems with that is that before, have you ever had to deal with before filters in Rails? Yeah. They make code more complicated. It makes it harder to understand, harder to debug, especially when you get into um, things where it's like uh, before filters that are conditional. Before filter if this, <laughs> before filter unless that. It's it becomes yeah, that gets very gross. Yeah, it's it's a huge pain. And I mean, I had been a Rails developer for many years. I was very familiar with this. Sinatra is basically the same issue. With Sinatra, all of your routes are independent. So you, Sinatra has something similar to before filters. Actually, it has before filters and you can sort of make them conditional, but it's, um, it actually gets much slower. One of the big problems with Sinatra in general is Sinatra's architecture is every route is independent. And when you, when you submit a request to Sinatra, it just iterates over an array of routes. So if you have a thousand routes and you request the last route, it's going through all a thousand of those routes every time you make a request which ends up being very slow. Sinatra does not scale well for large applications. This is another thing Roto fixes because of the tree-based routing. Instead of uh, a request or instead of the sort of called the um, big O notation, you're not, it's not O-N where N is the number of routes. It's usually like O log N um, mm-hmm. for routing because of the, tree, of the tree-based structure. 
In any case, the main advantage for me in Rhoda uh, is that because the routes are not independent like they are in Sinatra and Rails, routes are sort of sort of structured. So af after you route the first part of the path, the first, you're generally the first segment of the path, you can take actions like, okay, the, the route starts with, you know, artists, first thing we're going to do, and then like slash artist slash one, and then a whole bunch of other thing else, every route under that, you can sort of, in one place, you put like, I want to retrieve the uh, artist, and then it's available for all the routes underneath it. So what you end up with is, is a lot more shared code, and it makes it much more, much easier to share code, mm. especially if you have like, it's very common in my applications. Uh, I deal generally with, you know, business, line of business applications for a government agency. That's sort of where I work. That's what the majority of my applications do. And it's very common uh, for pretty much all my development is that uh, most things will have a form that you submit. Um, when, you, when you make a get request, it shows you the form. And when you submit the form, it submits to the same route as a post request. That's generally how I try to do my development to keep things simple. So all of these like get post sort of pairs have a lot of the same setup. And if I was doing this in Sinatra or Rails, like every one of those get post pairs, if I didn't want to duplicate the code, I would have to have um, before filters, separate before filters for each of these mm -hmm. get and post routes. And it becomes just, it's a nightmare to do that sort of work in Rails and Sinatra. So usually we end up with this duplicate code. And that's one of the things based on Rails design, it avoids duplicate code and it makes um, it much easier so you can read sort of the code from top to bottom and see how it's going to execute rather than figuring out what of the you know, before filters are going to affect this request or not. Right. So um, uh, real quick. Hey, Urban, how you doing? Welcome to the show. How's Ireland? Um, and welcome the rest of chat. Everybody who's sneaking around in there. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, feel free to ask questions. We will forward them on to Jeremy. He's he knows a lot of stuff about a lot of things, so um, you know, ask away. This is your chance. So you were talking about the fact that you know one of the things that you you were trying to do away with is kind of the before filter methodology because it can get gross. Um, and I I've suffered through that a lot, so I I hear that. Um, you also talked about the fact that with this with this routing tree that that like if I'm getting an artist and I get artist number one, I can just get it with that first, like that top level route and then kind of, I guess, pass that on down to other routes. Is that kind yeah, of- Yeah, you, you don't even necessarily need to pass it on. Like you can just set it to an instance variable and then anywhere later in the routing tree, uh, you can access that instance variable and it's already there. So oh. you don't have to use instance variables, but that's in my experience, the easiest way to do, to do it, to retrieve it in one place, so when you when you have Rota, each of the requests is a separate sort of instance of the Rota class that you're using. And generally, um, you don't have to do this, but in, in, usually what I do is I, whenever I'm retrieving data, I just set it to an instance variable. And then later on in the route or in any templates that use the route, reference that instance variable and instantly have what I need to retrieve it in, in only a single place. Oh, so that so, so the like the routes underneath that have access to that top level routes instance variables. Yeah. So in, as opposed to Rails being kind of encapsulated. Yeah. So one of the things that to, to keep in mind is that with Rails routing and, and Sinatra, routing is separate from request handling. So that's not the case with Rota. Rota integrates mm. routing and request handling. So the way Rota works is that every request that you have is yielded to the routing tree block. So every request, so the routes are instance-based. So as you're, as you're routing requests, you can also be handling it. 
So each part of the route usually get, get more specific, but it's not like there's one layer for the routing and another layer for the request handling. It's integrated. So you can do things like just have if statements around your routes without, you know, sort of like procs. It's all no, sort of normal Ruby inside, um, which makes it very flexible and much easier to understand than other frameworks, in my experience. So just for clarification, so if you have like in a route, a nested routes that are like orders and items and say parts or something, you know, or payments, um, I'll just do order items. So you're saying the route of orders, you can actually grab that instance item and then use it in the any other nested routes. If you have like 10 different nested routes, you could use. Yeah. So if like you say of orders slash one, um, if you take that branch of the routing tree, uh, the, the code executes and stores that order, anything underneath that route can access it. If, it, if the route doesn't match, the way the rotor routing works is that it's sort of executed like you would execute Ruby code. It starts at the top. Um, usually, most of the stuff, it's like R dot on some segment. So if your path is like slash order slash one, the first segment is going to be orders, just orders by itself. So you do like R dot on orders. If that matches, it passes the sort of handling inside the block, and no other routes are considered. Only the routes that are inside that block are considered. If it doesn't start with orders, it just moves on directly, skips the whole block, moves directly onto the next code. So um, it makes it very simple to target what you're doing. Um, so that way only, you know, when, when you set something, only routes underneath it are affected. It does not affect any other routes that you're considering. And if you have multiple nested routes, so say orders has, you know, payments and items, like it's on the second level, but yeah. there's many of them. You're saying typically you would have to create a whole new controller and views for in Rails for each of those, where that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, in in Rails, is that how you're avoiding the before? Well, inside calls? inside Rota, like Azure routing, you can have orders. And then, like usually, you, the easiest way to do things in Rota is basically what you're looking for, like orders, and then usually like a specific instance of what you're looking for if it's targeted to a specific instance. So if you're looking for order three, it'd be like slash order slash three, and then anything else you're looking for, you know, like items inside that orders would be after that. So you can retrieve right. it in one right. place, and then later stuff comes after it. That's the easiest way to do it. I'm not actually that familiar with modern Rails routing and how it works. I can tell you that um, I don't, my Rails work, honestly, uh, even when I had Rails apps, they're all like Rails one style where you like, you know, controller okay. action ID. That's basically how all my Rails applications were um, because that was that Rails, Rails was originally designed. Um, I never ever took the jump in my Rails apps to go to like the Rails 2, you know, re everything is REST type thing. I didn't really like that. It, it doesn't work well for the applications that I design. Most of the, my applications are like, workflow applications that don't really don't really mesh well with sort of rest design so um i don't i can't really speak to like rails routing and how it compares but yeah i can tell you that um for that type of thing where you have many actions uh a multitude of actions after like slash order slash one all that's just like normal routing tree stuff inside your road application so I got a um, kind of a visual aid here. Maybe you can kind of walk us through. I don't know if it's the best visual aid, but maybe you can kind of walk us through a little bit what this is doing in Rota. So okay. this looks to me like a Rota route 
definition, right? Yeah. Um, so what what are we doing? What are we saying here? What does this path look like, this URL? Okay, so um, I'm looking at it. So it says class app, you know, uh, subclasses from Rota. So your app is a Rota app, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and the route, the route method sets the routing tree. So every request that your, your web application is called with is going to be yielded to this route block. And the R variable um, is that's where the request is stored. Mm -hmm. So um, this is like a rack request. It's a subclass of rack request. And what it adds are routing methods. So um, R.on users here would mean if the request path starts with slash users, then yield to this block. And if it doesn't, don't yield to the block. Just keep executing code after it. If it starts with slash users and it yields to the block, and then it says r.isList. And what is means is the next path has to start with slash list, but is is a terminal matcher, which means it has to end with slash list. Ah. So if if it if the remaining part of the path is equals slash list, so basically this only matches things where the entire path is slash users slash list. In that case, yield to the block. And again, if it doesn't, uh, if the remaining path is not slash list, don't yield to the block. So if it is slash user slash list, and it yields it to, and then you get to r.get. And what r.get means is, is this a get request? Um, if it's a get request, then yield to the block. If it's not, don't yield to the block and keep on executing. So this entire Rota app is basically for get requests to slash users slash lists, return hello users, I think is what it says. Yeah. It's very small on my screen. Yeah, um, <laughs> if it's any other request, um, none of those, you know, at least one of those blocks is not going to be yielded to. So basically you're going to get to the end of the routing tree. Nothing's going to match. And Rota handles that by issuing a 404, not found, because which, no route matched. Which so makes a little bit of sense. I mean. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and that's basically it. So that that's this very simple application. You don't have to do it this way. Rota is extremely flexible. You could do this in one call. You could do uh, at the very top of the routing tree, um, instead of doing r.on and then under that r.is, you could just do r.get uh, user slash list. And that would do the entire thing this does in you know one line, really. So that'd be, it'd be more efficient. It would be faster. It'd be easier to understand. Uh, this sort of shows you the nested levels. You can see it, what happens to each level. But you don't have to do it this way. You can easily combine and condense this to make it simpler and faster. So, so it could look a lot more similar to what a Rails route file looks like with just the paths kind of listed out. Or it can yeah, be nested it, like this. Yeah. So in, you generally, with Roto, you would choose whatever makes the most sense at the time. In some cases, you're going to use the nested stuff. In some cases, you'll combine it. It really depends on how many... If you only have one route in this case, it makes sense to condense it and combine it. Sure. If you have multiple routes, like if you're handling, let's say you're handling both get and posts for users slash list, what you would usually do is r.is user slash list. And under that, you would have r.get and r.post. So get request would have, have the get block, post request would have the post block. Uh -huh. And usually what you would have is before the r.get, uh, you would have the, the setup for that sort of pair of get, get and post routes, whatever is shared between them. You would move into that that block, and the r.get stuff would only be get specific stuff, and the r.post stuff would only be post specific stuff. But they would easily share the code that's um, the same for both. And is this, as I'm looking at this, what I'm what I'm starting to wonder about is, is this actually closer to what my controllers are doing in Rails? That this is actually controller code that gets put in here. Not yeah, in really general, a routes definition. 
yeah, because routing or request handler combined, this is sort of like a controller. You can think of it if, if your Rails application is just basically doing like controller and action stuff, users would be the controller, list would be the action. Um, you can certainly do it, do things that way, but it is, it's extremely flexible because this is just user code that you're executing. It's not like um, Rails where the routes are sort of, you put the routes in and then there's a journey handles all this magic stuff behind the scenes. Um, journey is really good code, but it's hard to understand. And you don't, there's not a lot of flexibility. You don't have complete control over how the routing and journey works. It, there's certain things that are supported and there's certain things that are not. You can't do like halfway through your route, execute this code and then you know make sure the rest of it handles that way. Um, one of the things where this has helpful is let's say you have different um, permissions, authentication, authorization type stuff. You can say like, uh, if, you know, at any point in the routing tree, you can actually use normal Ruby stuff like next. So um, here, for example, let's say you had a whole bunch of routes. Um, at any point you could do like next and either if, basically if you want, if you want, if you want it to immediately go to a 404, you could just do next. And what happens with next is the block returns, but because nothing was matched, it returns 404 because there was no match. Mm. Or you could do next and you could put in a string and that's the body. And then immediately any request that gets to that returns a body. So it's much more natural Ruby code because everything is executed at the instance level. There's not a mix of routing code in one level and then controller code in a different level. It's all the same. That's work. actually very refreshing. And here's here's an example. I went you know to the next example in there where he's adding the post in with the get like you were talking about. He's doing yeah. both get and the post there. Um, but this this is nice because it puts my routes in the same place as the code for those routes. So I don't have to context switch like I do in Rails and say, okay, yeah. I've got this action named this, but what's the route for that? Because that could be something completely different that's just yeah, pointing it, to this action. Yeah, it's it's much simpler to understand in my experience. If you're if you're uh, if you're ever training someone that's new to Ruby, the it's much simpler to explain how Rota works. I mean, you can explain how Rota works in probably less than an hour and compared to how much time they would need to take for, you know, getting up to speed with Rails. Well, I know routing is a really difficult thing to to teach people in Rails just because there are so many different conventions there and and things that have been added on to deal with different situations yeah and then, spaces, nested stuff yeah. yeah and then there's no there's no correlation necessarily between the action name and the route name in there and so yeah. that's just you know all kinds of context switching and and extra stuff you got to keep in your head but yep. um so one of the things you were talking about earlier is the fact that rails kind of um and Sinatra, I guess, kind of have to kind of block out all those routes. So, it, you know, you got a thousand routes, it blocks them out, whereas Rhoda can kind of step through. Um, is that how Rhoda actually thinks is how this is written? Is it kind yeah. of starts at the top and just works its way down to exactly. like, get a match? I mean, Rhoda is, um, it's not really a framework. I mean, you can use it as a framework, but... Um, what I, it's actually called I call it a toolkit because it's it's sort of more than a library but less than a framework if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your code is basically just executed. You're just calling methods on the request object, and either they match or they don't match. And if they match, they yield. And if they don't match, they just don't yield, and the code continues on. So it's it's very simple at the basic level to understand what is happening um, and to customize it if you need to customize it. It's very flexible in that way. 
Um, lots of plugins that exist for uh, Rota sort of change how things work um, individually. So you can you can make it so uh, one of the like the for example one of the defaults in Rota is that um, it treats different paths differently. So uh, one example of this is ending slashes. So in HTTP, uh, a request for slash a is different than a request for slash a slash. Those are two different paths. Mm -hmm. Some app, some frameworks will treat them the same way. So I think Rails, it will ignore an ending slash in a path. Sinatra does not. And Rota by default does not either. So if the HTTP treats them separately, like you cannot, uh, an HTTP caching thing cannot cache, you know, it's a different cache key, you know, slash right. a slash and slash a cannot be cached the same way. Those are two mm -hmm. separate routes. They should not be, they should not be treated the same in my opinion, but a lot of applications do. I mean, yeah. if you do, if you are going to treat them the same, really what you should be doing is redirecting from one to the other, but uh, not everything does that. In any case, Rota again supports by default, sort of more the HTTP wing where they're, where they're separate, but it has a plugin that if you want to ignore the ending slash, you can't. There's a lot of plugins that are like that where, you know, if you want specific behavior, that's in a plugin, like not the default behavior, but if you want it, it's there. Mm -hmm. um, many plugins are like that. So I try to keep Rota's core as small as possible. And the idea is you only pay for the features you use. So for example, if you need um, a like HTML form-based stuff, there's a render plugin that supports like rendering um, templates. But if you have a pure JSON API type uh, you know, need, then you wouldn't use that. You, there's a JSON plugin where you can just return like arrays and hashes and it will automatically format those into JSON and return them. So you don't have to do any of the JSON formatting manually. You just basically um, have your block return the object you want to return into JSON and it automatically converts it for you. Mm. Again, making things much, much simpler um, than other things where you have to manually say, this is JSON, this is not. Um, and you can, you can mix the two in the same app. You can have like, okay, if it's a JSON request, um, then just return a string uh, return like an object, like an array or a uh, hash. And if it's not a JSON request, then you were to return, you know, a template rendering for HTML. So you can combine those if you need to. So you can have the same application handle both because in some cases, like if you have an API and a website and they have this sort of the same ability, just like what the return value is, um, you can easily handle that. Rails kind of supports the same thing. It has like response to or response to what uh, yeah. I forget what it was, but there's something similar in Rails uh, where you can have it easily do this, where the, the same set of the code happens and just the return values are different. Rota supports right. basically the same thing, but it uh, it's can be basically the same. Okay. So one of the interesting things that I saw on the, on the Rota site was this, were the speed comparisons. Yes. And I was really interested in, in understanding why these speeds are so much different. I, I think part of the clue is the, the routing, the way it does the routing and thinks about the routing would, would be my guess as to part of this. But can you explain to us why this is so much different than Rails and Sinatra? So uh, there's two reasons. So what, one, why is the initial speed so much faster? Um, and that's because Rota is extremely optimized and does the, the very least amount possible by default. So like when you have a web request, when basically you're using a, a Rack web server like Puma or Unicorn or whatever, um, 
basically as soon as those things call, you know, the, your application, if it's a rota application, it's almost instantly yielded to the routing tree block. There's very almost like no overhead at all. It's just like because uh, what Rack and I'm sorry, what Puma and Unicorn will give you, they'll basically call your application with what's called a Rack environment. Mm -hmm. So it creates a rack environment hash and it passes it to the application. Doesn't matter what application you're using, Rails, Sinatra, Roto, whatever. That's just how rack the rack specification works. Um, with Rails, there's a whole bunch of middleware and then there's a whole bunch of routing. And eventually, eventually you get to what you actually want to execute. Sinatra, again, it's going through the array of routes and iterating over all the routes and finding a matching route. Whereas with Roto, it's instantly yielding to the routing tree block um, and there's almost no overhead. And the matching in Rota is extremely optimized to be very fast. So that's why the initial part um, is faster. Um, in terms of the request per second, it gets a little bit slower as it gets more complex, but it's still very, it's still a lot faster because it doesn't slow down. Like Rails, it's kind of hard to see from these graphs because everything else is sort of near the bottom because Rota is so much faster. But what happens with Rails is Rails does not get much slower. Rails starts out slow, but it doesn't get much slower as you add a whole bunch of stuff to it. The right. journey, which is the Rails router, is, is very good at handling large numbers of routes. Um, Sinatra is not like that. It's hard to tell from the pictures here, but Sinatra starts out you know, fine. And then it, it once you get up to 10,000 routes here, it nosedives um, because mm -hmm. every request, it's going through 10,000 routes, seeing if they match, which is just completely inefficient. So with Rota, again, it's a tree-based route. So the, the way this this particular benchmark called R10K works is that uh, at 10 routes, it's basically just one level of 10 routes. And at 100 routes, it's basically for each of those 10 routes, there's another 10 routes underneath each of those 10 routes. It's a total of 100 routes mm -hmm. and up to 10,000 routes. So 10,000 routes is basically four levels of 10 routes per level. Um, with Rota, that's basically, uh, you know, at most 40 comparisons. So it's, uh, you know, the very worst route, it's 40 cases that mm -hmm. you have to go through. Whereas with Sinatra, it's uh, 10,000 cases in the worst case that you have to go through. Good grief. Rails is a little bit different than that because the way Rails works, it sort of goes on a character by character level. Um, it's, it uses what's called, I think it's uh, NFA, non-deterministic uh, non finite automata or DFA. I'm not sure exactly. How, how journey works, but it's sort of more character by character. Mm -hmm. So it depends on, on the, the length um, of, of the length of the URL, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't depend on like how many segments you have, unlike right. For most applications, it's not gonna matter. Most applications, even very large applications don't tend to have 10,000 routes. The 10,000 route case is like the worst case, but I would say it's not uncommon for applications uh, to have a thousand routes or more. I mean, I'd say 10,000 routes is, very large for a Ruby web application. Yeah. Um, but a thousand routes is not a thousand routes. A lot of applications see that um, even my own routes. Um, I don't know if I'm up to a thousand in any of my applications, but I'm probably, you know, six or seven or 800 um, at least. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to work on a 10,000 route application. <laughs> that would break my brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of the other things is that like rails, you sort of, Rails is not designed, you can't even have multiple Rails applications in the same process. Rails is a, sing, is a singleton. Whereas Rota, everything is just like a normal Ruby class. You can have you can have 10,000 Rota applications in the same Ruby process and it's fine. And there's multiple ways you can do this with Rota. Rota has a bunch of different ways to take large applications and either have them in separate routing trees if you want to keep them in the same, in the same class or if you want to split them between classes, there's easy ways where that each sort of kind of route can be separated into its own class which is not as efficient, but it's still fairly fast. 
So you're very flexible in terms of how you uh, want to structure large applications. Cool. Um, so now I want to talk about too, because this was interesting, the memory usage. So you can see like Hanami and, and Rails and Sinatra have a pretty significant spike after a thousand routes. Is that because they have to keep all of them in memory all the time so they can look through them? Um, well, all of the applications do have to keep all of the routes in memory. It's just how they're kept in memory is different. So with Sinatra, there was an array of route, routing blocks. So each routing block is separate. With Rails, there's a whole bunch of um, different routes they need to keep in, in Rails. Uh, so there's some overhead there. I'm not actually sure too much how Hanami works, but it's basically the same thing. The reason Rhoda does very well in this benchmark is the routes are not kept sort of they're not kept in data structures like arrays or hashes. They're basically, it's just one routing block or a whole bunch of nested routing blocks in a Ruby code block. So mm. there are technically kept in memory, but you can't like say, I want to look at this particular block. Um, it's basically just executes the routing tree and goes through um, each individual block and routes it. But the, the, the actual memory storage is actually at the sort of the Ruby program node level. It's not like user accessible. Um, there's a flip side to this, in, which is that like in Sinatra and Rails, it's very easy to get a list of show me all my routes, right? Mm -hmm. I want to see all the routes in my right. You can't do that with Rhoda. Rhoda, mm -hmm. there's no storage of the individual routes. Everything is just Ruby blocks um, in the sort of routed instance level. Two different requests can actually be routed completely differently. Like uh, one request might not even be able to see routes. You might say, okay, this person isn't an admin in my application. They don't even get to see the 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 not you know the admin routes. So you can have a you can have a bunch of admin routes, and if the person isn't an admin, they just don't see those routes. So like, as in terms of the request is the, those applicate those routes don't even exist. Every application basically or every request could see a different amount or different routes. So what this means is you can't get a list by default of routes in a rotor application because it just it, the concept doesn't exist. If you do need that sort of thing. There's a plugin for Rhoda that does it, but it's based on like parsing comments. It's not like, there's not, there's not a good way to do this because it's not set up for that. Mm -hmm. Now in my applications, that's not so much of an issue, but if, if you're someone that relies very heavily on show me my routes and I want to see all the routes in my application, that's not Rhoda's strong suit. Rhoda just, um, it's not architected to do that. Yeah. So I guess, it, I mean, you, you've built this nice compact, uh, um, kind of engine, for lack of a better term. And th the common answer for a lot of questions is going to be there's a plugin for that, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, <laughs> but are there places that Rhoda uh, struggles against other frameworks? So again, the, the, the ability to list routes is probably the main one. Like if you're going to, if you need something where you need to introspect your routing tree, Rhoda does not support that by default. It, the way it's architected, it cannot support that um, because routes are not, there's not like a separate class for your routes. Mm -hmm. Routes are just, you know, Ruby blocks uh, in your code. So like I said, if you need that, there is a plugin for it. Uh, it's an external plugin. It doesn't actually even ship with Rota because I don't, don't really encourage people to do it because it, it's based on parsing comments. So for every routing block that you have, you basically have to have a comment specifying what the route is and it will parse it and give you the ability to introspect it. But because it's based on comments, so you change the code, not the comments, then it's wrong. It's not like Rails or Sinatra where they can say these are the actual routes that are stored and you have, you know, 
you can be sure that that's what it's actually supported. Uh, with this, it's basically garbage in, garbage out. You, yeah. If you don't put the comments in correctly, you're, you're going to have wrong metadata. Kind of like so, my API docs. Yeah, same problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like your API docs. Um, so yeah, again, if that's sort of very critical to your application, maybe in that case, Rota isn't a good fit. Those aren't the type of applications I work on, so I don't particularly uh, yeah. care about that. And again, it's not something that Rota can really fix. Uh, just that's how the architecture is. Other similar um, libraries to Rota, uh, Cuba, which Rota is based on. Uh, there's another uh, similar one called Syro, which is um, by the same author as Cuba. Um, all of those things with this sort of instance-based routing, so what I call routing tree, um, same issue. You can't, there's no really, really route introspection doesn't even exist in this sort of context. So again, you rely heavily on route introspection, maybe not a good fit. Other things though, pretty much anything you want to do with with Rails or Sinatra, you can do with Rota. I would say pretty much anything you want to do in Sinatra would probably be better done in Rota. There's there's not, I want. I would say I don't think there's anything that Sinatra does that Rota doesn't do better, except that Sinatra can be a little bit simpler to set up if you're just requiring Sinatra and just doing like get, you know, slash users, you know, whatever the response is. So for super, super simple apps that are like a few lines, Sinatra is a little bit easier. But once you get past that, Rota is probably a better fit for any Sinatra app. With Rails, you get to the thing is that the main reason to use Rails is, well, all these other libraries work with Rails, and that's a huge advantage. And all these other Ruby programmers are familiar with Rails, and that's another huge advantage. So the network effects of Rails are not something that Rota can easily overcome. So if you're, if those are sort of um, things that are important to you, like what libraries work with it, and um, what other Ruby programmers know it, Rails is going to have a huge advantage. Now, I would say that for most of what most of the applications that people are writing, uh, if there's a solution for Rails or Rails comes with it, there's probably a solution for Rota. You're going to have many more options with Rails. Rails, you might have five or six options for anything you want to do. With Rota, there might only be one option. And for some esoteric stuff with Rails, whether it's only like you know one option in Rails, there might not be an option for Rota. I'm but not I'd say so those... sure that's a bad thing because sometimes <laughs> <laughs> all those options can just confuse the hell out of you. Yeah, like I, with Rails, I know there's a whole bunch of like form libraries and Rails has the form helpers. Yeah. And then there's like simple form and formtastic and other things like that. And for Rota, there's something called, which I wrote called Forme, which is sort of, you know, similar in that nature, but there's not too many other good options. So Rota, you might only have one good option uh, for any particular thing. Like authentication, there's devise and clearance and sorcery and auth logic for Rails. With Rota, you have Rodoth, and that's basically it. So um, keep that in mind, uh, you know, just like in general, any less popular library, fewer options. Uh, it's just the nature of the things. Yeah. So, so I had a question about the plugin infrastructure. So you say that the plugins come with it or tested with Rota when you do a new release. So how have these plugins be, been developed? Is it you that are, is it you individually that's it, developing it, each plugin or people say, hey, I'm going to build a plugin for this and they become part of it. How does that work for the project? So I would say in a lot of cases, the plugins are written by me, but in some cases they have been contributed by other people. Um, and then uh, I've sort of, if you contribute something to Rota, it's sort of taken over by the maintainers, which is pretty much me. So even things that were developed originally by other people, I've been maintaining for quite a while. Um, there was also a whole bunch of, like I say, plugins ship with Rota, and there are over 100 plugins that do, but there are still plugins that are external. Like I mentioned, the int route introspection plugin is external. 
RODOF, the authentication framework, is also a RODA plugin that's external. Some large things um, like the Formate plugin that integrates Formate with RODA is also external. It's hosted in Formate itself. So there are external plugins as well, but all the internal plugins are maintained uh, by me and tested for every release of Rota. Uh, and Rebuilt asked a good question. Actually, you read my mind, Rebuilt, because I was about to ask something like this. If I wanted to move from Rails to Rota, I imagine there's no way to incrementally move over. Oh, no. that's right. That, that, you might think that, but that's actually incorrect. So the, the easiest way, if you're going to move from Rails to Rota, is you add Rota supports the middleware plugin, so allows Rota to operate as middleware. So you wrote, you you load your Rota app as middleware in your Rails, and you incrementally move over each of the routes. And then when you're done, your Rails has no routes left, and your Rota app has all the routes. And then you don't need to use Rota as middleware. Rota can be the application at that point. So that's how it, that's how you can easily move from Rails to Rota. Now I say easily, and that's probably an exaggeration. Um, one of the reasons for that is that the way, Rota, way Rails works and the way Rota works are quite different. So um, if, you're, if you're heavily using uh, stuff in Rails, like Rails, one example of this is that Rails default uh, rendering solution. It uses sort of this customized version of ERB that's not true ERB. Um, one of the reasons they do this is to allow you to have um, like in ERB, you can use like, uh, like open, uh, like so I think it's uh, less than percent equals some Ruby code and then do for a block. That's mm -hmm. not actually ERB. It's invalid ERB code. The, what, the way it works in Rails is Rails will use regexps over your entire template, figure out when you're doing that, and sort of customize ERB to work in the case where ERB was not designed to. Um, if you have templates like that, uh, Rota doesn't support Rails as ERB by default. I think there is a separate plugin that you can use that will do that, but it's not the default. <laughs> there's a plugin um, for that. <laughs> there's a plugin for that. I think I actually wrote it. I don't know if it's still maintained anymore. This was a, this was a, quite a few versions ago. Um, the way Rota works, though, the way recommended ways the Rota works is it's very similar to the way uh, Erubis and then now Eruby support escaping. So the re reason Rails sort of has this. Uh, thing where the other thing is that HTML escaping is sort of what I'm talking about here. Um, with Rails, the HTML escaping is sort of, I want to say, implicit and not explicit. So when you do, when you're putting something in a template in Rails, it sort of figures out or tries to figure out, is this thing already safe, escaped, or is it not? And if it's not, I need to escape it. Um, this internally, it's like active support safe buffer or something, and it's supposed to figure out like is this safe or not, and if it's not safe, then escape it. With Rota, you have to be more explicit. So idea idea with Rota, the recommended way to use Rota for HTML escaping is you set on what's called escape mode, and then everything like if you, if you put stuff in your template, it's automatically escaped, and if you don't want it to be escaped, instead of using one equals in the template, you use two. So percent equals escapes, percent equals equals doesn't escape. And that way you're very explicit about, I expect all this to be escaped. One of the big advantages for doing that is you can audit your templates to look at every case where things aren't being escaped. And then you can see, is that safe? So it makes it much faster to audit things for potentially unsafe usage um, with Rails. Every potentially, you know, every time you're putting stuff in your Rails template, you don't know whether or not Rails is going to escape it. it depends on what, what's passed to it. If it's passed something that's safe buffer, then it won't escape it. Otherwise, it will escape it. So I didn't like that approach that Rails uses. So uh, that's not what Rota uses. Rota forces a more explicit escape.
Um, cool. for, for certain things like that, it can be challenging to move from uh, Rails to Rota. But even in that case, like you have an ERB template that uses sort of Rails conventions. If you're moving things over sort of on a route by route basis, you just copy the template, you would modify it. Um, in my experience, I moved a lot, I wanna say, you know, a fairly decently sized Rails application and quite a few small ones from Rails to Rota. Again, this was back in 2014. I'm not sure how much has changed in Rails land since then, but it wasn't that difficult. I mean, most of your controller code, if you're moving controller code from Rails to Rota, a lot of cases you can just copy it and, and, and paste it into the Rota stuff. And because it's Ruby, it basically works. Now, again, there's are things that need to be changed. Um, and you do need to have fairly good tests if you're doing this. I would not recommend doing yeah. this without good tests. Um, but if you have good tests, you can basically just copy it over on your tests. If things break, then you fix them. Otherwise, uh, things generally work. I could take sort of a Rails-based controller file uh, and then copy it sort of to a, a Roto routing tree file and modify it, you know, change the def, you know, like, you know, def for each action and put in like r.get or r.is, whatever it is, and almost do a fundamentally a mechanical conversion, but a fairly, you know, uh, without too much thought going through and converting the Rails controller code into the uh, Rota routing tree code. And then at the same time, for each of those routes, going through the template code, the ERB template code, and changing it. Now, if you're not using ERB, it's probably easier. If you're using Haml or Slim, those are going to work the same way in Rails that they do uh, in Rota, pretty much, um, is my understanding. I haven't, I'm not actually a, a Haml or Slim or anything user, but my understanding is if you're not using ERB, it's much easier to convert from, from Rails to Rota from a template perspective. Because it's just a straight one-to-one. -one yeah, you probably don't need to make any modifications. I'm not sure exactly how escaping works in those versions. So it's possible some of the issues uh, it affects. I don't really have any knowledge in those areas, so I couldn't say for sure. So I have a final question because we're running up on time here, but um, I have a final question for you that personal interest to me. So I'm an old dog and I've been doing rails for a long time. If I were to now, obviously there's a, a, a pretty significant difference in the way routing works and what I'd have to wrap my head around routing. But what about what kind of learning curve would I have to deal with moving from rails to Rota after being a long time rails developer other than the well, routing? Okay. So the routing is the big one. So routing controller access, the other stuff like Rota is focuses just on sort of the routing code. Um, if you want to use Rails, other stuff, um, it, it's actually not that much. Like if you want to, if you're using Rails and you're using Active Record, you can use Active Record with Rota. Hmm. Um, most of the other things that you use in Rails, you could just port directly. Like if you're using Active Job or Active Support, as long as you require them in your Rota app, um, they'll basically work the same way. So you don't necessarily have to do that. You can move fully off of all of sort of the Rails dependencies. But if you just wanted to replace sort of your Rails application with Rota and keep all the active support and other stuff you're using, um, you can do that. Um, some of the other things that Rails supports by default uh, that Rota also ships with plugins for, um, I mentioned like routing is sort of core Rota. Then there's sort of template handling, which Rota has a plugin for called the render plugin. Uh, other things that Rails supports, uh, that Rota supports directly with the plugins that ship with Rota would be um, handling email. So sending emails, uh, Rota has a mailer plugin uh, for email sending. So that'd be sort of like action mailer. 
And then for handling incoming emails, uh, what, which Rails has with Action Mailbox, Rota has a mailbox processor plugin that will do that. So uh, other than those, Rota mostly relies on external things, like for example, um, Active Record. So Active Record in Rails, uh, you can use it in Rota. There's plenty of people that do, but if you want to have a separate uh, object relational mapper like SQL, uh, you can easily use that. There's no, there's not tied to um, mm. Rota. Rota doesn't enforce. Rota is not what they call a full stack framework where you have to do things a certain way. You can pick and choose the parts that you want to use um, and use whatever you want. I mean, it's not like uh, we say that uh, everything should look this way. Like another difference between Rails and Rota is that Rails comes with generators for a whole bunch of stuff because there was a Rails way to do things. You you do Rails G and then whatever, you, and it, it generates what Rails expects you to use. Rota is flexible enough that uh, there's not really a way to enforce it. Like people's Rails, a lot of Rails apps look very similar. Um, with my with my Rota apps, most of my Rota apps look very similar to my other Rota apps, but my Rota apps may look fairly different than other people's Rota apps. And some people, you can consider this, you know, it, this is a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Like if you're familiar with Rails and you look at one person's Rails app, and it's much easier to train someone else's Rails app. Uh, the that's that's the good thing is that if everything looks similar, it's much easier to transition from one to the other. Yeah. Um, but the advantage is if you have something customized for the way you work, uh, it can be a big advantage. So um, with Rota, you basically don't have all the overhead and forced conventions. And if you like the Rails conventions then Rails is great. If you don't like the Rails conventions, then it's often something you're fighting against, in which, in which case you'd be better off something that didn't enforce those conventions that you don't like. But if you like the Rails conventions, you can certainly bring them to Rota if you'd like to. Yeah, yeah. The, the only disadvantage there is that, you know, your Rota app might not look exactly like other people's Rota apps. So it depends. And I, I certainly understand the benefit of having apps look similar, but then there's also the thing is that what works well for some people doesn't necessarily work well for other people and trying to shoehorn everyone into the same box often is a problem. So it's really a double-edged sword. You have to choose yeah. which trade-off you want to make. Right. Well, and there's always trade-offs in, in anything you do. So, um, wow, we are, we are up on time. I've really enjoyed this conversation, learned a lot here. So I, I really appreciate you coming on, Jeremy. Um, Thank you. Chat, I, I appreciate you guys being here too. Uh, we always love having you here and getting your questions, um, interacting with us. Um, and Sire, I have to give him one of those. That's his, his shout out. Um, but uh, yeah, um, we will not be back next week because one of us is taking a long overdue vacation. Um, so we won't be back next week with either Coding with Chris on Tuesday or RDDS on Thursday. But we will be back the following week uh, with both Coding with Chris. And on May 11th, we've got Ilrock coming in to talk about Hotwire. So that's I'm looking forward to that. That should be a fun, fun conversation. Um, so you can check this out on YouTube uh, or Twitch. You can always get us here um, live. Um, also, you can... Find this in a podcast audio-only format everywhere that podcasts live. Uh, if you want to listen to it in your car or on your, you know, daily walk around the neighborhood. Um, join us at uh, rubberduckdevshow.com. Sign up for our newsletter, which basically is, hey, we've released this week's episode. Um, 
<laughs> but maybe it'll turn into something else later. Who knows? Uh, also, if you want to keep up with go what's going on on a daily basis, you can. Uh, I'm usually on Twitter at Ducky Dev Show. And we also have a Discord server that you can join. We talk about all kinds of fun stuff on there. Um, so we will see you in two weeks. And until then, happy coding! Happy coding.